Wednesday, how are you? Welcome to the Candle Tales podcast and to another episode filled with laughter and joyousness because we're having an absolute mare trying to get this one off the ground. We're getting there. Okay, we're not going to go again. It's fine. Welcome to the next episode of the Post Show Chats. We're talking about the Kerry, the kingdom, the one and only place where the Sleep Mist Mountains are. And, well, we had the, 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 the story of, what's her name? Mish and Doverish. And then we had the story of Scotia. And we'll be talking about them very soon, won't we? Yes. Today, in fact. Right now, in fact. Right now, in fact. This minute, in fact. Thanks very much for uh, coming along and sitting in to hear our chats. If you want to hear about the chats, just I mean, listen. <laughs> <laughs> if you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, listen to our podcasts. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. There you go. Great. If you'd like to subscribe to anything, you can hit subscribe now. Yeah, on the videos. And you can also do that on the... Um, Things that you follow on, on Spotify. On anyway. your, your podcast app, whatever app you may have. Right. Uh, yeah. So we've talked uh, a fair bit about this uh, series up to date. We're doing mythical places. We've gone around the country. Not getting literally around the country, but, you know. We have gone best. to some places. We've been to some places. We've seen some things. Sometimes we haven't literally been there. We've been there in our imaginations. Yeah. Oh, figuratively. And on Google Maps to check And out. on Google Maps to see if the place is where we think it is in relation to the other places. So we did a whole, uh, going on to Mission Dovrish, we did a whole thing there. Was it last year or two years ago? I can't remember. I think it was two years ago. I feel uh, like this was a lockdown-y thing. I feel like this was. Was, was 2020. I think it was kind of like, because we had nothing to do except podcasts all yeah. the time. Um, and we decided to do a big battle of entry yeah. thing. Partly because you had a beautiful book uh, of the Battle of Entry story. Troy, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which was bilingual and, and beautifully illustrated and we, we pulled a lot from that. Um, and yeah, we did a we did a whole series on the Battle of Entry and we had, we'd come across the the Mission Dubber story before that. I actually heard this first from Nuala Hayes, who's, mm. uh, she's part of the Storytellers of Ireland. Mm-hmm. And she told the Mission Dubber story Um and I remember thinking it was great. And she had a fantastic way of telling it. And uh, you told it previously on, I think on the podcast. Was it a podcast? It was, it was, it was, it was, that was a live recording. Uh, live recording it was up in Wheelands uh, one of the nights. And again, it was just, you know, it's one of those ones that you kind of, you don't know how you're going to tell it or how it's going to land. I, I think I told it, we did a few weddings this, this summer and the whole thing about Irish love stories not being happy endings, mm. not really having happy endings at all. There's not very many love stories without tragedy. So when you're performing on a second day of a wedding and everyone coming in with their hangover heads and they're kind of sitting down. And you're like, let me tell you about the sons of Ishnok, the beautiful stories. love story where everybody dies. Dear to the sorrows, that's awful. Anything, you know, Maeve is pretty, you know, terrifying. Not loving. It's just like, No, she's you know, she's sexy, she's but she's boss. not very... She's yeah. not very loving. Um, you know, Kilcullen and just kills everybody he loves and dies. And, and Emer is, you know, that only jelly of Emer is not exactly a great one to tell at a wedding. You can imagine. Um, Depends on the wedding, I suppose. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like a little bit controversial. A little bit controversial. We always say there was one definite lo- true love story, which is Angus Oak. And yes. Again, that's the dream just... of Angus Oak. Angus and Care is a, is, a, is a proper, like, yeah. They fall in love and they live happily ever after, kind of as swans. And we managed to do that at the end, and as everyone loves, lovey, 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 happy ever after. But the and I told that one at Neil's wedding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neil and Audrey's wedding. Um, that was fun. And of course, and it goes on a treat. So also, what goes on a treat is this story to a live audience, especially if they're after a few pints. 
it's just it's a very, very fun, fun story to tell. It's a you, very fun story to tell. You never know how many ways you're gonna get away with like the what's that? Um, like, yeah, it's great. What is it? It's your great. your version is creepier than mine. I think. Yeah, well, I like to lean into her being really terrifying at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think so. My nerd brain kicks off with the Mission Dover story. Okay. Right? Because if you look at the Epic of Gilgamesh. Oh, wow. We're going back yeah. to the very first legend ever written down. Yeah. Wow. There is a bit in that where there is a wild man, like, kind of created to be the friend of Gilgamesh, and they're like rivals first and then they're best buddies. Okay. And they have this whole bromance. But he's a wild man called, I think, Endiku. I can't remember exactly how you say his name, but I think uh-huh. it's Endiku. And the way that he is like he first lands in the wilderness in the forests and he's completely wild and he's kind of savage and bestial and the way that he is brought into like some form of community with other human beings is one of the sacred prostitutes goes out and has sex with him and calms him the fuck down ah the sacred prostitutes right yeah yeah. if only we could bring back the sacred prostitutes I mean legalise sex work for starters <laughs> that would be a really great first step um, but what was really interesting to me about this one is that this is like kind of a gender flip version of that because she is the wild woman and it is yeah, like yeah, yeah, the yeah, things yeah, yeah. that he introduces her to the three things that make up like humanity and culture civilization and civilization he shows her money Money's always a good one yeah cooks food Oh, yeah. The music. Sings to her. Yeah. And sex. Yeah. Like mean, they're the they're the they're the kind of like I don't know, social lubricants that he sort of <laughs> introduces her to conceptually and actually up in the mountains. Snortle. Yes, I know. You can't say lubricant especially in the context of talking about sex. sex. But like, I think just, it, oh, I, I I think I also think it's interesting that like the Babylonian myth is about like, you know, women are the civilised ones and they have to civilise the men. Yeah. And the Irish myth, it's like, they could, that's kind of flipped as well. Yeah. Of like, women get real dangerous. If like, you live them off. And, and we've talked about that with the Kayak as well, of like the terrifying aspects of femininity are very kind of present in Irish myth. And they're not, um, I don't think they're demonised in the same way. I think there's way more of an attempt to, uh, the monstrous in, male characters can be kind of dealt with and accommodated and met with in some ways. And and in a lot of mythology, the female characters kind of don't get that. Mm. You're either monstrous, you're either fucking Madonna or you're whore. Like you're either monster or you're your good little wife daughter. And like don't think about that too hard. Don't um, think about that at all. But like, you know, you're, you're, you're good little quiet, sit, you know, barefoot in the kitchen, sit down, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Whereas I think the, the, the willingness of Doverish to actually go and confront Mish's monstrous aspect and still treat her fully as a human. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, I guess, the, the warning of a wild woman out in the hills, the fact that there was, people are afraid of this, this mysterious creature, this feminine power, this, you know, people are afraid to go up into the, the hills and it, yeah, it, it, like, the story takes on more than uh, could possibly be, a, a, you know. A, a, and just, the, just the implication is that she's kind of immortal while she's wild. 
as well, which I think yeah, is also interesting. Yeah, certainly more powerful, removed from society, removed from the shackles yeah. of, of being domesticated and therefore more powerful. And like, Which I think is also a truth of humanity. I think there's something that like people get, there's a certain amount, like, like this is, now I'm thinking of COVID as well, of like, there's oh, no. a certain amount of, oh, no. there's because there's some wild shit happens in isolation when you're removed from society though. Because you go binging ten episodes in a row. Yeah, but you can get. I don't think I don't think I'm unique in this because you. I think when you're when you pull back from society or when you are pulled back from society, you can get more in touch with what is powerful in you. You also get real fucking weird. Yeah, well, you you lose that. So as you said, the social lubricant that makes you able to kind of mix and mingle and commune and gather and trade. The and thing that reminds and, you that you're a person. Yeah, and empathy just I, pre- I presume is the main is the main thing that that would lower from isolation. You're just not able to empathize with other people because you only I, have I one mean, perspective. I don't. I I think that's probably true if you're raised in isolation. I don't think that's true if you like experience isolation as an adult. I don't know. That what that doesn't seem that's that doesn't kind of line up with with my experience of it. I mean. I'm I'm saying that just in in terms of uh, you know prisoners being put into isolation, mm. uh, you know dehumanizing aspects of not being with other people and how how f- how far removed you get from your own humanity by. You I know. think I think it's more where you get removed from your own humanity. Mm. Um, I think I think like and it's incredibly I, I, damaging when it's done to someone. But in in sorry no but like in in doing that because my head's are spinning out. So by removing yourself from humanity, as you know, for example, Mish does, is in this, or the wild man in in um, uh, Gilgamesh. You know, like you're outside of societal boundaries, rules, laws, interactions, norms, and the wildness of a wild man, wild woman, is that they'll they'll hunt you, like they could kill you, they could devour you, they'll you know chop up your head. That, that, that that's the rumor, that's the fear, that's the the build up, and. You know, to go into the, it's going into more the animal state, the the primal, mm-hmm. primal kind of uh, base desires, hunger, food, and uh, survival. And so then, again, the attachment to humanity is being able to perceive another person's point of view that is removed from you, and having a third person perspective, having a kind of empathetic link between your connection to human nature and another's. Whereas the animalistic state is much more devour, food, kill, survive. Me, now. yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, so yeah. that that's where I think that isolation would cause. Well, that's that's kind of how it can make you like, yeah, maybe it is that that makes you go a little bit weird. I know it's been true of me when whenever like, you know, when I go gobliny, <laughs> as I do periodically. You know, we all have our duvet days. We all have our duvet I call, days. I call it goblin cave. You call it a goblin cave. <laughs> you just go into the goblin cave and nothing. No, no food, no leaving. Um, the, the no food thing is the one that wears me out now. Like I, you know, I get of a duvet. I don't get around. A couple, <laughs> all very good at it, but like I still have, I fucking feed myself. Yes, you're better at that. You, you, you. This is a better tended uh, flesh prison than mine. <laughs> <laughs> this is this flesh is known. Prison? <laughs> you just call me a flesh prison. I didn't call you a fresh flesh prison. We both have flesh prison. Yeah, there you go. We are um, in them. We are. We are. Our, our, our sacred divine being is encapsulated. Yep. In, in a flesh prison. A flesh prison. Um, um, one must tend to the flesh prison whether one wants to or not. So Mish doesn't do a great job of tending towards that. No, uh, she doesn't. Taking care of her. And that's what sends her wild. She's her hair well, demented. Her eyes demented. It's not what sends her. Because what sends her wild oh, yeah. is the battle. 
death for everybody she knew and loved. Yeah. That would send you off. What the send, deep end. Like what sends her wild initially is the trauma of the 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 defeat. Yeah, that would. So it's her father, the king of the world, who doesn't yeah. sound like a very nice guy if you look at the. He seems like a prick. Yeah, he doesn't. Um, doesn't seem like a great guy. You know, one of those old ruling class guys who wants to conquer the world. Very, very patriarchy, yeah. very uh, colonizer y, very, very, Yee. we don't like it. Yee. No, thank you very much. No, thank you very no, much. No, please do not. Big fan of him. So uh, Yeah, he seems awful. And he um, caught, again, to, to briefly tr- run over the, you know, Kion Fion Tra or the. The Battle of the White Strand. Also if anybody as, wants to know it. As also Ventry. known as Ventry, which is the anglicised word for Fiontra, which is like Yeah, Fiontra, Ventry. They always fuck it up in like a really like not good way, don't they? It's yeah, like, it's bad. It's like Ventry. Fiontra. Fiontra is way better than Ventry. Tis. Anyway. Anyway. Brian Friel's translations, great play. <laughs> Abby actually he's nearly done and she said I didn't get to that shit. no you had a thought I did um, so summary of don't be throwing other names plays at me um, so this story is basically Fiona Fiona they save Ireland from the you know the clutches of the king of the world who comes with a massive army down to Fiona yeah. Troll and it takes them Bay. it takes them a year to of battling in the sands to, to like eventually they don't drive them off they kill them all all they all die except one guy gets away and is sent back to be like, go tell that story. Yeah, carry tell, it on. Tell people not to fucking come back, basically. Um, Didn't really work out so great in that one, did you? I mean, um, no, obviously not. But, uh, um, so she sees everybody die. She sees everybody die. And she runs up to the hill and I assume just tries to lose her mind. She, well I think she loses her mind and then she runs away I think she I think that disconnect from humanity is what happens mm. when she sees that horror and then there's that terror of like am I going to be one of the ones killed and then there's nothing you know we're talking about connection there's nothing there for her to connect to Yeah. none of her people are left no support system no, no support nobody to talk to probably doesn't speak the language so she mom. goes off and luckily Doverish comes and saves the day which I think is like a long, 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 long time later. Yeah, we've no idea how long. I don't know. I but it's kind of the implication is that like she is a figure of myth and legend, and it's long after Fiona and the Fiona are gone, and like she's been kind of that's Buck what I mean. But like she's been more powerful in her wildness, like that because I think there is a truth in that. I think there is power in wildness. Mm-hmm. Like there's huge power in wildness, but there's there's also that trade off of like. You know, you're fully alone. You are fully disconnected. There's yeah. huge power in it. But like, if you think of people going off and fucking, you know, monks going off and meditating in the Skelligs and like, there is a draw to a lot of people of like, going to the wilderness, going off on your own, being isolated, being away from people, like going into kind of, you know, different, there's a lot of different kind of religious practices that encourage that kind of thing, sequestering yourself and cloistering yourself off. And that's not the energy that Mish was going into it with, but like, there's still there's still something there about like there is power in it, and she finds that power and she taps into it, but she doesn't seem to be terribly happy. I mean, yeah, happiness is kind of a which is a weird yeah, it's an interesting one actually, isn't it? If you're just surviving, um, you know, I think 
pleasure and sustained pleasure and uh, contentment are things that are you know created and carved out of existence opposed to you know you know immediate relief or pleasure that you get from gratification or applause but like sustained comfort contentment. and contentment is something that like you do have to go off and meditate and skeletics for fucking years to kind of achieve a level of okay or have a fairly good practice or, or a, have good a practice. fairly good something going on in your life that's yeah. going to ground you bring you back and i think you know more and more we're, we're seeing rewilding you know courses people going out you know realizing they need to nature like the number of festivals this summer in ireland was unbelievable and like every weekend there was a festival because everyone wants to get back out and like you know i mean we can talk about to what degree festivals are nature yeah but there's yeah, a lot of them it's a draw to, yeah, it's a yeah, draw yeah, yeah. it's a draw to go sleep in a, in a field a lot of the time it's a draw to get real fucking drunk yeah um, but, but, but I, I, so I, I think that is linked to the draw to connect to nature but it's, it, it gets confused it, like it gets confused because it's a draw to, for but, ritual and celebration and yeah. it's a, it, like it's a natural it's also a it's, hugely social draw to the festival stuff yeah 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 which course. I think is a little different I think going off and like camping on your own in the oh, totally you know, and that's where like the a mountain is, is yeah, kind that's of different. The actual rewilding stuff that like, you know, um uh oh god, Lucy O'Hagan, that's it. Um of re- what I'll be working with in September is doing a fantastic set of courses and you know, that's fantastic to see people like that doing it, you know, act true and like wisely and but I think the 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 desire to go off and have a mad fun around a fire and dance, yeah, it gets thrown into the festival kind of foray. But people desire that and need that as a form of connection, celebration that's not really in society. And like, look, every, you know, Friday mm. night or Saturday night can be seen as that desire too to go buck wild. But like, it's the but wildness I, that's inside you that you don't get to get out necessarily. In, yeah, in but the, I think we're talking about two separate things because okay. I think we're talking about, I think, I think what you're talking about is wildness in communion. Yes. You're talking about like a kind of primal release of tension and energy that happens in a group. Yeah. Whereas I think the kind of like I also I thought I also think there's like there's power in that and there's release in that and there's like necessity for that. But I think the 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 wildness of someone like Mish is a different wildness. Cuz cuz she's not going into the mountains with her mates oh totally no sorry you I, know? I, I know I know it's it's not the same I'm not saying it is I well no I just, I just think there's two separate there's, def- there's different kinds of like when we say what it's, it's one of those yeah, times yeah, when yeah, we are yeah, saying yeah, the world yeah. wildest to mean three different things yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so like her, her her wildness is bestiality and feral and it's completely it's her maybe deliberately maybe not and maybe like out of necessity for her survival disconnecting her human side Mm. And becoming absolutely feral, and becoming kind of monstrous and terrifying because of it. But like, what's interesting to me about it is that she doesn't lose her humanity; she just disconnects from it. Yeah. And like, th- I think that's the interesting thing in this story is that another person, and like, he's not the first person. Other people have tried. Other people have gone up and tried to find her, and tried to talk to her, and tried to reason with her. Maybe tried to trap her. We don't know what those failed attempts were. Mm. But like somebody is like it is through talking to another person and through meeting another person and through interacting with another person 
in all these various ways that he offers her totally that she's able to reconnect to her own humanity mm-hmm. that she disconnected from and I think that's a that's also like contains a really important thing which is like no matter how wild a person goes no matter how feral and violent a person becomes because I think that always or almost always comes out of some kind of trauma whether it's direct trauma or transgenerational trauma or whatever it is I think the challenge for the rest of us in a society is to hold their humanity absolutely and like the, the king does that in this story the king first, does it yeah because yeah. he says she's human she can't can she like she's not to be hunted she's to be brought back so I think I have the connection in that where, where my little head went mm-hmm. without having it fully thought through so she her mind breaks presumably when she sees the death and destruction and you know she, she runs off to the wild the desire to be wild is a human instinct to, to cope and to be and to to, 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 not, to think. not think and you know whether she hunts and whether she just sleeps in the trees going feral going wild going kind of howling at the moon type thing that I think is what you know she falls into that and she you know, her, she, she severs she severs yeah. her humanity she stays in it until she's literally guided back bit by bit by bit and bits of herself are put back together till she can kind of join society I think that the, the instinct to go wild and feral is what I'm talking about with like when we're so caught up and I think like the trauma of the two years lock up mm. why is something that people went, eat the fuck like you know need to release something oh, and yeah. that's where the drive for and I'm not saying it's the correct one but to go to festivals to go camping to go out to go to the oh, sea yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. to go swim to forest bathe Every, everybody be being nature. locked up in their own little box for two years meant a lot of people really wanted to go I want to go somewhere I want to go somewhere outdoors with a bunch of people mm. and act like we haven't acted like yeah in a long time yeah 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 um, so yeah there's a there's a draw to to whatever kind of wildness it is whether it's connected wildness or disconnected wildness and the disconnected wildness you know you need to take steps to re to actually reconnect yourself back into pattern again or back into flow uh, with people I guess which is interesting um, yeah I think there's a lot in there's a lot in this story about um, how humans create each other and create ourselves in community. And it's all in Kerry as well. Like it all lands down in the all in kingdom, the beautiful wild westerly coast that it has. And it is, it's very no good in fairness. Like. You'd see, you'd see. The Corkman in me. The Corkman in him is dying. Oh, uh, you called this episode the kingdom. Oh, you did, you did, you did. <laughs> um, I have no loyalty, I don't. I know, I know. You sound, like you're from, <laughs> you sound like you're from Dublin, this day. I do when I'm in Dublin. <laughs> you're always in Dublin. No, sometimes I go down to Cork and then I briefly sound like I'm from Cork. Really? So, the other story we're going to look at is also based in the Sleeve Mish Mountains. Yes. And this is all very close to Tralee. Mm-hmm. There's a few around there. Um, so, this is a story that you had some trouble with finding a narrative of yeah well I, so we're gonna talk about how to find a narrative yes yeah in and we decided we would record this just to kind of give you give give people like a little bit of a, a look into what's coming scenes. up <laughs> and um, what i'm gonna have to do 
So this yeah. is kind of the process sometimes. Um, well, you found a bunch of facts. I found and a bunch pseudo of facts, facts. Pseudo facts. A lot of information, a lot of YouTube videos, oh, and uh, a lot of your books and bits and pieces. And we can link whatever I can think of in the show notes when I put the story up. But in terms of fact finding, I tend to throw an awful lot at my ears and see what sticks mm-hmm. and see what I hear, see what joins. But this one, I guess, okay, so my cousin, um, our cousin, uh, yes, Killian, we are siblings. Um, Killian Fox sent me uh, a little a thing. Oh, I just heard this about Scotia, and she was the um, you know mother of the Kales and went to Scotland, and Scotland based after her, and she's linked in with the the Book of Invasions, and she's this um, uh, grave down in Glen Scotia, down down in um, near Tralee and Sleeve Boom Mountains. I mean, Sleeve Mish Mountains. Um, that'd be a cool story for you to do in this this uh, series. So thanks, Killian, <laughs> and. I kind of went off on various tangents and I kept on finding too much information because it is pseudo history. The story or the series of bits of information. Well, there's also like two Scotias. Yeah. Which doesn't help. And then there's a lot of people being like, this is complete pseudo history. And then there's a couple of by the, by the sounds of it, very controversial historians who were like, well, actually, there is some evidence for this, which is like, is there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a lot of, like, there's a lot of debate around did this happen, did this not happen? There was also a lot of, uh, at the time it was written down, it was written by monks in the Book of Leinster. Book of Leinster, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of attempts to, like, connect Irish mythology to biblical history. Yeah. To just kind of, like, get everything to sit together and tie okay. together a bit better. And it was kind of like... This is another potential link in. Because Scotia's husband met Moses. met Moses or something, yeah. He got healed. Moses cured him of a snake bite. She cured him of a snake bite. No, she cured him. No, that was Moses. Or she cured Moses? Somebody cured somebody <laughs> of a snake bite. Moses was there. Um, that's what we're working with here. So that's the. So again, we that's the level of like I, bullshit. I told you too much stuff before he got into it, uh, which is all kind of. Uh, this, but it's you know, it's it's the link between again trying to tie it in with Moses and giving reason for the Gales, the Gale people, to have come from an ancestry linked to the Bible. So we're all very, very Catholic. But that you know, then peeling that back again, there's some arte- arte- archaeological uh, evidence that yep. has found stones in this Glen of Scotia um, and in Scotland, and. The, the, the there's sapphire, uh, the there's some evidence should, should of trade from. links with Northern Africa from Ireland, which is and yeah, and I, I remember hearing another one of the heard it was like the torques and the gold uh, found very similar to the style of the torques that were worn by the pharaohs and the, like some of the jewels and all the stuff in them. You're like, oh, so there's and again, yeah, there's, there's a lot of there's a lot of like maybe. There's a lot of maybes and there's a lot of maybes and uh, it's beautiful to kind of like even comprehend how old and how long ago this was for mm. a moment. There's only 3,000 years. You know, like, yeah, 4,000 years. 4,000 years. Like, depending what Depending where Scotia is. This. Yeah. Uh, so, like, you know, 2080? Yeah. No, 80 is. 80s now. <laughs> we are now 80. BC. BC. Um, BCE. BCE. So we have uh, Nefertiti being the daughter of nope. Tutankhamun. Nefertiti nope. is the mother of Tutankhamun. Mother, sorry, of Tutankhamun. 
I'm and, putting your notes over in the Never Team page. Oh yeah, page. sorry. And the mother of Akhenaten, who then marries... Ankesanamun. Ankesanamun. And who marries... Tutankhamun. First. Also, yeah, Tutankhamun first. And then marries I, who could be known as Gail Hasser. Gaelus is, is, is what I, is what I think it's pronounced, and the the notion, the pseudo historical notion, is that the the word for the Scots comes from comes from Scotia, and the word for the Gaels comes from Gaelus. That's the I, so they're kind of mother and father of these related tribes of the Scots and the Gaels. And they've found so the story goes Scotia or. Uh, Anne and Ammon. Never going to remember. The story goes that she and her husband get the boot, get exiled out of Egypt. They take enough to start a new civilization and they head off. And they come to potentially the west coast of uh, Portugal or thereabouts. And either their descendants or they keep on going. They land in Ireland and then they keep on going up to Scotland. Potentially like four generations later that happens or it's all the one if it is all the one Scotia she left Egypt she landed they kept on coming to Ireland they left burial uh, boats behind them to bury their dead and when they got to Ireland it is then tied in with the Sons of Mill story which we covered in the series yes because uh, in, in our series. book invasion series Truly. because the other version of Scotia is that she's also the daughter of a pharaoh but in that version, she is one of the wives of Mill, and she's the uh, she's the mother of Amergan and Eberdon. Yeah, who are two of the sons of Mill. Amergan is the druid who sings the, the beautiful chant. chant. Yeah. Um. So, making all of those scattered and disparate and pseudo historical facts into a story. Yeah. Into a narrative yeah. with a character and an arc. Mm-hmm. My first question. What is the fundamental opposition at the centre of this story? For me, I think it is... We chatted a bit bit about this beforehand. And I think it links in even with Mish. It's survival. It's trying to survive past the point of being allowed to in your own society. Like they get they get expelled from Egypt, which is no okay. mean feat at all. So survival on one side of that fundamental opposition. Mm-hmm. What is sitting in opposition to the survival? Is it survival versus fuller living, the way it is in in Mission Dovrish, or is it survive versus like annihilation, or is it? Like what? What's what's the thing that it's in tension with? Well, I think if they get expelled from, like again, the Egyptians had pharaohs. There's amazing sun. They like they, you know, they praised Ra and all of their pharaohs were the gods. They were literally, you know, incarnate physical representations of the gods. So if they pissed off the pharaoh, they got exiled from the pharaoh. They they upset a god, and so you have the sun god bearing down on them, and they're exiled from their promised land to go find another one. Uh, in fear of, I can only imagine she's either, and it's 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 whether things happen to her in this story or how she decides to take control and find her own 
land that is prosperous. You know, well, it's, it's always more interesting if you've got an active protagonist. Of course. I mean, like, I was kind of just stating that as a kind of... Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I mean, that's always a choice, but it's, 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 it's almost never more interesting to have a passive character. And yet it's super, when you're getting factual about stuff, it's super easy to go into that. This oh, happened, yeah, 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 person, yeah. This happened to the person, then this happened to the person. All this stuff happened to yeah. her. No, I mean, like, that's what's interesting is, like, what did she and her husband, the pharaoh, do to get... What, what, did, what did people do to get kicked out of, of, of Egypt? Like, how do, you, how do you manage to do that? The, the only thing... and Because he was the pharaoh. This is threading, like... So this is kind of where we're like, okay, how many steps are, like... So we know that Nefertiti was potentially the mother, and we know that uh, Scotia married her half-brother, Tutankhamun. Mm-hmm. And then she also married this guy. Ai. Well, after Tutankhamun died. Right. So he's in he's in his tomb. He's in the tomb. She marries another guy, I, but their rule doesn't last. For various and again there's there's just the... So I think you have a choice here about whether or not to go on a little bit of an Egypt deep dive. On like what happened to Tutankhamun, why his tomb was undiscovered for a really long time, which mm-hmm. is interesting stuff. Like it's it's a whole thing. Uh and like who were the pharaohs after Tutankhamun and like what maybe happened to them and maybe kind of get a little bit of like dig into that a little bit to try and find out what kicked them off or uh, do you want to like elide the Egypt stuff and start out with queen in exile so I did kind again like it's so historic and precious in the Egyptian kind of lineage. Well, this is the thing. And this is also kind of where I'm like, this is, I always get a little uncomfortable when we start playing outside of our own little pond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't mind fucking around with Irish stories. Yeah. But I think it's very, very different. And I do think this is a thing in general. I think it's very, very different for us to retell the stories of a different culture. And that's where I wouldn't, and even like throwing mud at the wall and see what sticks in terms of this, I've like, I've gone on the deep dive, but not enough of it has stuck with me. Yeah. Because a lot of it is, you know, facts, and facts dates, and... dates, pseudo-history theories, reading between the lines. And I love it and it's fascinating and it's great, but it doesn't help tell a narrative. It doesn't help help this narrative because you have to take a poetic kind of license with how you're going to recreate this story. So what I'm getting for our setup for this story yeah. is that you have a queen in exile Mm. who used to live in this incredible civilization. Incredible civilization that was way ahead of its time in terms of like other civilizations around it, in terms of the standard of living of the royals. Also extremely kind of bound by ritual and like ritual practices and prayers and, and different things. You have a character who's grown up in all of that. And if you start it with her in exile... And the thing that she is running away from is the sun. Yeah. Yeah. Then I think you've got a... Then I, you've got a goer. Then you've got an ignition. I also like the fact that she does die. She gets... So like, I, and I, I love Spoilers the idea... for a 3,000 year old story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously she dies. Her, they, you know, it starts off at the grave of... Uh, yeah, it turns out at the grave of Scotia. But yeah, she dies... She, she dies pretty epically by jumping a horseback while pregnant over a ridge. Apparently, yeah. according to one source in her ancient origins. So that's kind of interesting in how she died in the... So she dies in battle. In battle, yeah. 
according to them. Again, yeah, I, I think but that's... like I don't, I don't think you know, I don't think you need to get into the according to this person, according to that person. Well, I am now just because of, I know I'm you are now, but like, out, but, you know, um, I think that's, I think that's an epic enough way for her to die that that's all good. My, mm. my, I guess my question is, like. What is the meaning of that death then? Yeah, yeah. Well, in, I, I think in that's, the context of this narrative, I think she fulfills her own doom by like by running away from the sun. You can't run away from the sun, and you know she's cursed essentially in in exile, and in running and continuously fleeing and trying to survive, she gets to finally land on the island that she thinks she'll be able to bring up peoples, but it's already you know, claimed by a land, there's hurt, there's grief between the Sons of Mill and her by by r- running in and facing the sun and facing the battle on the last day and not uh, turning away, she does fulfil her own prophecy of, of, of dying. So she kind of fulfils her destiny but well like, are you, and this is, a, this is also a choice, are you going to conflate the two Scotias and have her as the wife of, of Mill? And I, the, f- the mother of Amrigan? I to be honest, I am leaning that way because again, yeah, it's. I like it. I think it's good. It's with, with this prelude. I think we can go look, lads. It's four thousand years ago. We're not really sure. So we we are not we are not interested in telling a historically accurate story on this podcast. No, and, and, and I think that's I think that you know that's 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 always kind of been. And what's the meaning of myth of and story? It's is only to evoke and and excite imaginative play and and, and also link it to something that. Evoke, evoke, evokes something. Evocates. Evocates. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, yeah, but we're, like, that's, I think that's why. you're being rooted in something that, you know. Feels true. Feels true. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a difference between feeling true and having kind of a truth, a narrative truth and an emotional truth and having a, a, a factual historical truth. Mm-hmm. And this is not a history podcast. B- because again, if uh, Scotia runs away with this prophecy, oh, like looming over her head that, you know, or curse. Or curse. Uh, it's a self-fulfilling, you know, a self-believing curse. You're, yes. You're... But I also think if you think of her as the mother of Amergen mm-hmm. and what Amergen learned from her mm-hmm. and how that ties into the song of Amergen. Absolutely. I think that also gives it a different and meaning. So I think the that would be really nice to play in there as well. I think I, I was wondering about doing that because that's a whole Amergan thing, thing and a view. I love Amergan's song and it's so beautiful and, and, and it's such a prayer, it's such an incantation, mm. it's such a, a gorgeous sentiment. Mm-hmm. But if you think of him as being the the grand, like the son of an Egyptian princess, yeah, it, it kind of it kind of fits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's somebody being like, who's descended of a line of people who are like, "Hello, I am literally the son and a god." I am literally. And he's the son. he's standing there proclaiming and like announcing his divinity in connection to nature. Oh, so that I actually yeah, if I so if I, she, the I am thing. Yeah, see, best I, mantra. I am, you know, I am the sun. Like I when we did that kid story and all of the all of the birds sing, "I am." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah, I am. So I think you can tell it's good when you get a little misty in the eye. That that looks nice. <laughs> no, I, that's just, how you know that you found the story, though. But I think I, I I I that for me gives me something to latch on for her to do, to be doing yes. and to be active in it. Yes. Because if she is always figuring out if this becomes about her identity and how she finds herself from being exiled from her. Again, it's the exact opposite of of um, 
well it's, it's similar she's exiled uh, Mish is you know her whole yeah Mish, Mish, exiled, Mish is in a kind of a self-imposed exile exactly and by doing that you lose your identity to your, where you come from you lose your sense of meaning because you've lost your tribe she's bringing her family with her now and that's her tribe but she her, and herself is now trying to find out who she is what, what, what ground she can call her own and yeah if that's the lesson that Lamborghini learns from her mm. um, and she gives herself to the soil the land itself in driving over the ridge and you know. yeah if there's something if there's something kind of like because if you think about that that battle it's the same conflict as as is happening with the with the two and and the the sons of mill where the two and go underground and it's the same conflict where ban bafola and eru kind of agree to to give their names to the land in exchange for truce mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting because she also gives her name to a land Mm -hmm. Just not this one. Yeah. So there's something interesting about like the Daddy. fact that the fact that enough of her has been passed on to be carried on. Yes. By her sons and daughters, and by her children, and by the tribe that she's taught. So that like, you know, it's probably not the moment that she would choose to die, but there's something about you know, riding a horse, and falling and breaking your neck, that's like all right this was not the moment that I would have picked but enough momentum has been built that it will go on without her mm -hmm. like she has she has forged enough of a legacy and and she's become such a legend within her own clan that either for one generation or four more they still hold on to her name and even if they, they travel from away from Ireland and they go to Scotland they hold on to her name which they, is which is the whole idea and yeah. and that ties in then to like the naming of the land of, of Eru as well mm -hmm. is, is there is also the naming of the land of Scotia I'll have to be careful once I get into that bit because we'll, I'll, I'll, we must link in the show notes the story from the last season or the season of the Book of Invasions the Eru story that you told because that'll be a nice one for people to listen to oh, if yeah, you yeah, want yeah, to yeah, listen yeah, to yeah. if you want to yeah, listen this. to the to the Amergan Eru story yeah yeah uh, because that's kind of another way of looking at this story uh, from without the Scotia thing. Yeah, yeah. She's not so, in that one because we didn't know better then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, look, uh, this is going to be an interesting one to try and uh, put together. Hopefully yeah. you enjoy it. Let us know what you think about the post show of Mish and Doverish and if you have any questions about that mad one and uh, what you think about this whole pre-show chat. Pre-post. Pre Pre-post-pre. Pre-show um, chat. Pre-show, post-show. We're still putting Scotia Post out before this. show, right? pre-show. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, time you might be. We're, we're recording this before we record Scotia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is the um, main thing. Okay, well, that's... That's us. Thanks, Millian. We have a show in September. In MVP. We show on MVP. Yeah, we have seen uh, it. Check it out. I'm also developing a show. It's going to be an Underworld Games with Savage. World for Legends and Charisma Check, so check that out. Savage. Uh, and are you up to anything else? Uh, well, we're doing a few things for the Poker Festival. We are. Um, we so are. that's coming up soon. That'll be coming up soon enough. Uh, so keep an eye out for us. You can find us on websites and things. And uh, yeah. if you want to support the podcast, you can go to patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales. You. And if you want to subscribe, like the video, make a comment below, do please. Or please. wherever you Feed the algorithm. subscribe to your podcast, give us a rating. Love oh, yeah. Too. And if you don't know what we look like, you can look on YouTube. Is that. 
if you're listening mm. to this and you're not looking on YouTube, if you are looking on YouTube, that was a weird thing to say. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we say weird things. All right, look, guys, we'll have more myths and stories and chats for you very soon. Uh, keep safe and sound and happy out. We chat to you. Good luck. Bye.